So today's topic, we're going to be unpacking racism in the gay community. This is definitely a loaded and charged topic. These boys have generously given me their time to come in and, and unpack this stuff with me. Um, I want to preface by saying that I um, am coming into this with an open mind and open heart. And the reason why I chose to do this is because I have a platform um, that I feel can reach people. And uh, I feel like this is a great opportunity for us to reach people in this pivotal time where social justice and social equality is extremely important. Um, and I stand by um, BIPOC people and I want them to know that I stand by them and that I'm an advocate for, for their equality. So um, <clears throat> yeah, with that being said, um, I wanted to just actually start out with you guys by, we can maybe all just go around and share um, our own racial and ethnic background. Like where, where are you coming from? Where's your people? Mm -hmm. You want to start Reno? Yeah. So, uh, I am mixed race. Uh, my, my, so my, my great, my grandfather, um, is Trinidadian. Uh, my biological father, as far as I know, is also of Trinidadian or West Indian descent. Um, and uh, I, that I'm, I'm not completely sure about, which is a whole other conversation. Um, and then on my mom's side, I am um, Trinidadian, Irish, English, and Scottish. So my grandmother, my mom's mom, um, is Irish, English, and Scottish. And uh, my great-grandmother actually immigrated from the, from, from the UK to Canada at one point. So my grandma was born there, but moved here when she was young. So my mother's mixed race. So I, I identify with all of those, all of those origins simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Mm, yeah. What about you, Ed? So um, I was actually born and raised in Canada. So my family were immigrants from Hong Kong. But prior to that, they were actually both born, born in uh, China. Okay. And uh, as we were growing up, we found out that my father's dad, my grandfather, was actually adopted. So, you know, just trying to understand the um, where, where our background's from. We always thought we were Chinese, but we knew we were mixed somehow. And so I was actually given a gift to do the ancestry. And so we found out that my percentage of being Chinese is 85%. Mm. And I have Southeast Asian in me, um, just 15%. So uh, we re don't really know where we're from mm. for 15%. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. What about yourself, Matt? Yeah, so um, I'm East Indian, as we say in North America here. Uh, you know, um, so my parents still live in India and I and they've never actually lived in North America. Uh, when I was growing up, I did have the opportunity to be able to live in some other parts of the world, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but when I decided to kind of build my own life and 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 move out of my parents' house, uh, I moved to Canada. Um, and uh, it's been quite the fun ride. But uh, you know, I'm 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 from the north of India, and and you know, so I do identify as as Indian or East Indian, as we say. Yeah. What which part of the north of India are you from? New Delhi. So, New Delhi. so yeah, I'm from New Delhi. 
Um, and typically, like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a much larger city. It's like six times the size of Toronto. Right. Um, and yeah, it's been quite the interesting uh, experience. And then like moving here on my own um, has also been quite the learning experience. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, my roots are 100% Canadian mutt. <laughs> I'm I, uh, European descent. Um, so I have French, Cree, so Métis, um, Irish, Scottish, English, and German. So wow. Amazing. Yeah. I had the opportunity of working with Métis people when I lived in rural Manitoba. So I did uh, get that exposure. Very interesting. Yeah. Wait, you lived in rural Manitoba? I did, yeah. I lived no in South Kirk, Manitoba. Yeah. Get out. Okay, because I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba currently oh wow yeah, so yeah. you know exactly where selkirk is oh yeah, yeah for sure yeah 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 Hi. my apartment was right off of main street across the strip club oh, so <laughs> that's where we lived <laughs> wow small world wow yeah <clears throat> yeah awesome thanks for sharing guys so <clears throat> i do want to just hop right in really let's just jump yeah. right into the fire <laughs> yeah. no better way to do it right um let's do it so the question that I have for you guys is, what are your experiences with racism in the gay community? Um, maybe we can all just take a bit of time and you guys can just share, um, you know, what, what it's been like for you. What are your experiences? And feel free to just jump in when you're ready. We don't have to go in a certain order. Um, I guess I can jump in. Uh, so when I moved to North America, and I started to explore my sexuality a lot more and I had the freedom and uh, the sense of security that Canada provides for the LGBTQ um, people. We're very fortunate here in this country to have that. Um, I did realize still that there was like an unspoken sort of like a hierarchy within the gay community of like, prep what they define as preferences of, you know, that are, that are based on races. Um, and what I learned was that my ethnic background was like at the bottom too, you know, of the, of the pack. And, um, and I had, I guess the most uh, interesting or surprising experiences were um, being out and about in the village and then people kind of being curious about my ethnicity and, you know, cause I'm from the North of India and I'm lighter skinned than an average uh, Indian person that you meet. So, you know, people just like assuming that I was either Latino or some sort of Middle Eastern. And then when I would tell them that I'm actually Indian, it was almost like, a, uh, oh, you know, but not in like a like a pleasant way or, or whatever. And and I typically felt that my like sex appeal ended right there. And, you know, because Indian guys in the gay community are not considered attractive or they're not really the go-to when it comes to ethnic preference. So, yeah, I had to really come to terms with that. And uh, there were instances where, where you know, I was, I was faced with situations that were hurtful uh, and clearly racist. So, um, in a nutshell, I guess I would say that's kind of been my experience. Are you well, I'll start by saying, um, you know, just uh, growing up in Canada, in Calgary, and um, experience, you know, once coming out and just, you know, our only outlets were the bars, and um, really learning about the terminology. And it's actually fun, funny and cute, but we don't really use these terms anymore, but 
I don't know if you guys have heard of Asian as in um, equivalent to rice. So we were, you know, if we were out um, and a white person was into Asian, they would be called a rice queen. Mm -hmm. And if an Asian was into a white person, they'd be called a potato queen. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Asian with Asian would be a sticky rice. So, (laughs) you know, you can get a chuckle out of it. I, we don't really use those terms anymore, but I recall, you know, when we were younger, we obviously congregated um, amongst our similar uh, races and that's how we grew up even up until this point. But I have, I do recall making a conscious decision and that's the thing was even just growing up, whether gay or straight was, um, it was during the nineties and there was a big stereotype of gangs in Canada. And I did not want to associate myself with Asians for that reason. So it's interesting how I'm remembering these um, instances and actions that I consciously told myself and um, wanted to actually become more, less of a minority. Um, There's definitely pride now, now that I'm in my forties. So um, of my own race and being gay, but um, it's still a learning um, experience and trying to think back and moving forward, what we can learn. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I remember the first time. Excuse me. I I realized that my that my my skin color somehow made me different, and um, I was probably about. You know, I want to say somewhere around seven, um, you know, somewhere around seven or not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's somewhere around there. And um, I was out in the field. Uh, we grew up in uh, government housing. And I was out playing in the field where we usually commune and, and, and play. And um, one of the boys uh, cussed at me, used the F word. And, uh, and, and followed with an with a N-bomb, right, the, the N-word. And uh, I just remember not really understanding what it meant, but knowing it felt terrible and, uh, and, and that it was probably intended to hurt me. And, you know, I later learned that it was a derogatory word used um, in reference to me being a a person of color, a black person of color, you know, of, um, you know, of, we'll say, uh, African descent or, or West Indian descent. Um, and <clears throat> that was kind of the, the beginning. That was the beginning. Uh, I grew up in a all white town, I would say predominantly white um, rural town in Manitoba, Gimli. And um, I was the only black kid in my high school. And so that uh, racial rhetoric continued uh, while I was there. And um, it it got, I would say it got progressively worse out there, which is not a surprise to me. Um, What was also surprising to me 
is that there were, and I'm almost reluctant to say this because I don't, I, I, my intention isn't to, to really start anything, but really just to point to uh, the fact that it comes from so many different directions, even unexpected ones. Um, but there, there were indigenous people who would, um, would uh, make racially derogatory comments and remarks toward me as well. And, and that was really surprising to me. I thought, wow, um, we, are, we are both people of color and we both have some degree of experience of what it's like um, to be a person of color in this world. And I was, I, you know, it was really surprising to me. Um, when, I, when I finally moved after graduation and I came to Winnipeg, I moved back to Winnipeg, I came out at 19 and I remember being so excited that I was finally going to be free, that I was finally going to be free to, to be all of me. Um, my, you know, my gay self, my queer self, my, my black self, all of it. Um, and what I experienced was, was the opposite for quite a while uh, because the, racism, uh, the, the discrimination, the prejudice continued, you know, and, and I always, I always sort of say that it, it felt kind of like a, out of the frying pan and into the fire scenario where, you know, I, I thought, okay, I come out and I'm going to be welcomed and celebrated within this space because we all know what it's like to go through these things. And, um, perhaps this will be a sanctuary for people who've gone through it. Well, that wasn't the case. Um, and I, for probably, yeah, like I would say a number of years, spent a lot of time hating myself and trying to, to change who I was. I wanted to be more desirable. And as a result, that meant um, altering my features and my demeanor uh, chemically straightening my hair, um, which was, you know, a very uncomfortable experience if you've ever done it. You're basically putting toxic chemicals in your hair, stripping it, and, um, you know, it did result in some burning of my, my scalp and my forehead at one point. And remember, like, you know, I was probably about 19 when all this is happening, right? And the lengths that, you know, I, I would go to and that some of us will go to you know, to feel like we belong, to feel desirable. It's really unfortunate. Um, but, but it's what I knew at the time, and it's what I learned. And I, you know, I purchased colored contacts to alter the color of my eyes. I wanted lighter features, right? Lighter eyes. I'd wear colored contacts. Not because they were fun. Not, you know, not because I was experimenting. No, because I wanted to look more white, you know. Um, so, you know, straightening the hair, wearing colored contacts, uh, in the summer, I would attempt to, you know, avoid the sun in, in certain situations because I didn't want to be too dark or too black. Um, because the darker I was, the more undesirable I was. The, the, the blacker I looked, um, you know, the more undesirable I, I was. And, and in addition to that, I felt like I had to work overtime. You know, um, there's this saying, and, I, you know, I really do my best to to create my world through my words. So I, I would say for the most part, I no longer subscribe to this saying, but 
you know, there's that saying, and I think I, I heard it on Scandal the first time I heard it, the show Scandal, but it was, um, we have to work twice as hard for half of what they have or get, right? And, and I, I remember the first time I heard that, even talking about it right now moves me because um, that was really the experience. I didn't have the words for it. I just knew that I was working overtime, that I had to be smarter. I had to be more charismatic. I had to be more charming. I had to, you know, like just to, just to be even the slightest bit desirable within, within the gay community. Right. And, um, it was, it was a journey and a process to really undoing that shame and that internalized racism and, um, you know, and hate and coming to love myself. And I think a, a turning point for me was pride. I was probably about 23 or 24. And I'd, I had shaved my head. Um, I decided I was not going to chemically straighten my hair anymore. I wasn't going to wear contact lenses anymore. Um, I, was, I was growing to love my physical appearance. Um, and one thing I didn't mention is that I had actually developed a, a, an eating disorder for a period of time. Um, because again, you've also got to be skinny or buff, right? Um, and, and that was another thing. Um, and so that year at Pride, I, I had my friends and I decided to get tank tops with um, text printed on the front of them. And on mine, I chose the phrase, my black is beautiful. And I, you know, I had this white tank top with this phrase on the front and my white shorts. And I went in and I stood tall. And I, and for the first time, you know, I felt um, like I was beginning to love who I was and, and embrace it regardless of what anyone had to say or thought of me or whether I was their preference or not, which is a whole other conversation, um, you know. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my experience thus far. And, and I would say now um, I still see it. I still experience it. It, it's still present, um, but I'm in a very different place, and I have some, I, I would say, some very different perspectives around it. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, that was, yeah, you know, I, uh, when I started talking, I was, um, I guess, like, I, I'm, I'm still being a little careful, but, like, wow, that brought back so much, uh, and, and it's interesting that you and I are different ethnicity and I've done all the same things. I tried changing the color of my hair. I wore colored contacts. Um, I would constantly shave my face so I didn't look as, as brown. Um, I would get my chest waxed. Like, you know, like I, I would go through all these, all these things and and yeah, I remember one time too, when like I couldn't get a hair appointment and I tried doing this at home and burnt my scalp um, mm. and, you know, tried bleaching my hair. And it's just um, it, it like coming into Canada as an immigrant, I came in very confident because where I came from, I was the majority. Um, and, you know, I, I would get uh, the type of attention that someone who is considered like the epitome of, you know, like a, a straight looking white muscular man, like, you know, that would, so I was coming from, from getting that kind of attention 
to uh, getting to a place where like I was literally like not considered attractive. Uh, and, you know, with what Ed said, like, you know, there was a there was a term that I'd heard for the first time, which was curry queen. So anyone that it, that was like, especially if a white guy was like attracted to me, he'd be called a curry queen. I had someone actually uh, say to me on like our third date uh, and, you know, we got a little bit like, you know, intimate and, and we were kissing and everything. And he's like, you know, I love that you don't smell like curry. Um, and you smell so good. And yeah, it was like, I just, that's the, those are the things that I was just reminded of right now and how awful they were and made me hate myself. And it took a lot of work to accept myself the way that I am and, and know that, you know, I am attractive and that I'm worthy of all of it. Uh, that someone who's, who's, you know, white, um, is worthy of. It's, I, you know, you brought me back to, um, there, there, yeah, there were a couple of things you mentioned there. Um, one, I, I also remember being self-conscious of my, my, my scent as well. Um, it, that's another, you know, that's another sort of form of, of stereotype that, that we experience. And, you know, another thing that I was trying to be really, you know, particularly mindful of, like not smelling like a black person, what, whatever that means, you know, like it's just, well, what does that mean and where does that come from? And it's just so, it's so interesting how deep this runs and how, you know, it's at a point you're constantly trying to remove all the the sort of layers of like who you are and what makes you you to become something that you're not and it's more you know massively appealing and it's wow yeah 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 and i i remember i was in southeast asia and this blew me away um yeah it was really saddening uh, I was I was looking for a body lotion. I ended up just using like raw coconut oil because I couldn't find anything I wanted. But um, I like moisturizing, and I went to a bunch of different stores, and all I saw on the shelves were these skin lightening soaps, lotions, moisturizers, and I'm I'm like, wow, can I? I just want one that doesn't make me lighter like i'm cool with the color in my skin finally um and and you know when i can't seem to find a lotion that is also cool with the color of my skin it's just it was so wild to me you know yeah that's a huge part of indian and south oh sorry asian and south asian culture because like i remember uh growing up uh when i was in indian high school like and like my friends that were darker skin being like, oh, you know, like you're never going to need this cream. You're never going to need this soap. Uh, and the, the, the aisles being like packed. And I remember go- coming to North America and being disliked for who I was and thinking I should have brought with me uh, the skin lightening creams. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, even you know, in our Asian community. So when you travel to Asia, you're surrounded by Asians in Hong Kong and they're into the lighter skin and my natural tone is quite dark. So, um, you know, you just get comments like, oh yeah, you look pretty good, but you're pretty dark. So you kind of get these comments that are like, they just lower your self-esteem. You know, it's so cool to talk about it because, um, you know, when I was asked to join this conversation, I just, I honestly, and I wrote notes. I said, I didn't really go through much. But now that we're talking about it as a group, it's interesting how things come up and the actions we've done or things we've heard. 
is it racism? Did it necessarily hurt my feelings? Uh, you know, or did I just let it slide? Yeah. And then that's for the most part, I did let things slide. I just, my, I have a better, bigger confidence than, than mm. to let that bother me. And Edward, it's, it's interesting, right? Because that was another thing. I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm so curious about that for, for everyone. Like when, when, um, you know, when, the George Floyd incident happened, and I'm, I'm choosing my wording around it very carefully, but essentially our understanding is that this man was murdered at the hands of, um, you know, at, uh, at the hands of police and law enforcement. Um, everyone was galvanized and there was a larger conversation that sparked. And one of the things that I started to notice as I was listening to other people share their experiences of racism and racial prejudice and discrimination um, and, and marginalization was that um, there were things that were suddenly entering my awareness that I didn't even, I was like, wow, that I, I had never even thought of that. I never, I didn't realize that it was there too, or it was happening in this way as well. You know, and I kind of, I, you know, what, what I was saying, I said to my friend one day, I said, it's so wild how you don't realize that, you know, that like they had their foot on your throat. Right. And until someone goes, Hey, <laughs> you know, th there's a foot on your throat, you know, like, so to speak, but it's so hearing what you just said, I'm like, yeah, I, I totally get that. You know, as the conversation broadens, you're like, Oh wait, this was happening to me, yeah. you know? I think sometimes people think that racism is um, always has to be um, overt as well. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not as bad if it's not being yelled at me from like a pickup truck, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that sort of mentality, but there's so much um, covert racism happening and, you know, it, it hides behind preference. It hides behind silence. It hides behind, um, all of these things, right? So it's it's really important to acknowledge these things and acknowledge that they're, that they're happening, right? And I think it's really interesting, Ed, that you talk about like when we had this conversation before the podcast that you were like, I'm not sure I've experienced these things, but I'll come on and be solution focused. And I was I was I'm actually really glad that you're having moments where you can relate to what's being said because I th and I'm I'm relating this to not my racial experiences but my experiences of of oppression being a gay man is that there's a lot of oppression that happened in my life that I didn't even acknowledge. I just brushed it off. I didn't take it that seriously, but it does impact us. It does send messages to our shame wounds that it's not okay to be ourselves. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious about your guys' experience with both covert and overt racism and how that's impacted um, your feelings of exclusion. Mm. Preference. <laughs> Preference. Let's yeah. get into that because I think that's yeah. actually a really, really juicy one. There's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I was on a panel uh, of queer, uh, queer men. And um, one of the things that I said at the end of this panel conversation was, you know, question your preferences. And here's, here's why. So... Um, there are a couple of ideas that I wrote down and um, I wanted to make sure that they, you know, that they were shared in this conversation. And one is that when I'm speaking, I don't speak for all queer people of color. I don't speak for all people of color. I'm just sharing my views, my perspectives and my experiences. Right. Um, 
and and I recognize that I'm always learning, right? I'm always learning. And I think that's true for all of us, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, racism at its origin is an idea. And ideas, particularly when activated and given life by emotion, word, action, and repetition, spread like a virus, right? So um, that brown eyes, blue eyes uh, social experiment that was done, I forget what her name is, um, but she did an experiment, right? Yeah, you guys, you guys may be familiar with it. Uh, she did an experiment where she divided the class among brown-eyed students and blue-eyed students. Um, and what she demonstrated was the power of an idea, how insidious it can be and how quickly it can spread. And so what you saw is this superiority uh, complex very quickly develop and take over. Um, these kids who were once united and connected and playful and engaged with one another suddenly became divided and divisive and really unkind to one another. And at the end of the experiment, um, because they both got to experience what it was like, and then she brought it around and, and, and broke it down and explained what had happened and, and why, uh, you know, and, 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 and sort of how it happened and, and whatnot. And it was a really interesting um, experiment. And what I learned from that and what I've experienced personally, ideas, thought, um, so insidious and so subliminal that I think that when, when we say, well, it's just my preference, right? That's just my preference. What I point to is how convenient it is that it just so happens, um, and, and I'm trying to word this, um, how convenient it is that it just so happens that the groups of people who are typically oppressed in Western society and culture um, and westernized society and culture are also the people who are less desirable and attractive, right? Like that to me is not a coincidence. It's a byproduct of something deeper. And I'm not saying that we're not allowed to have our preferences. I also think it's important to recognize that the television we watch the music we listen to, the magazines we see, the faces we see all over the screens. I was watching Pretty Woman at one point and I remember looking in the background of one of the scenes and I, I don't even think I saw one black person. That movie was created in the 90s, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Mind blowing, right? And what message is that sending us uh, consciously and subconsciously and unconsciously, right? So that's just one example that, that, that I'm personally aware of, right? But it bleeds into everything. The choices we make in, in terms of our relationships, who we decide to hire or not hire, right? The ideas we project onto people as we look upon them, right? And how we engage with them as a result, right? Yeah. That's so true. I think you're talking, I had to Google her name. Her name is Jane Elliott. Jane, uh, Dr. Yes. Jane Elliott, yeah. So she's an American educator, and I think she was triggered by the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, is what I heard. So she's been like a diversity coach since the 60s. I think it was the end of the 60s when Dr. Luther King um, was assassinated. Um, and And I think that, like, 
her ex although her experiments have been great and they've been shared everywhere but i think it's the um it's sort of like intrinsic biases that haven't really been changed uh and as much as i've experienced a lot of the um you know to like in my face kind of racism um i think i the worst uh was when i used to have grinder i haven't had grinder for over 5 years now and it was for that reason because every evening if i was you know like after work or something and i'd log on to grinder i don't remember even one day that i logged on to that app and did not come across a profile that said uh preference is white guys only right or and it wasn't just the the white guys saying that it was you know some people of color too saying that you know they're not attracted to their own race uh and they're not you know like they only prefer to be with white guys and and i think that overall to your point you know like um for example like if i reflect back on all of the north american or european uh movies and tv and commercials and magazines that i was exposed to um when i was growing up like i barely ever saw black people right like of course like there were no like indian like actors or whatever and there was like even if they were it was like you know like indiana jones kind of movie right but it was like there was no black people if they were then they were projected as criminals or you know doing something wrong and i think that it's also important to understand that you know like we are aware here in north america but just a few years ago like you know it was the the social conditioning had worked in such a way that you know and and for someone like me like you know who hadn't seen a lot of black there's not a lot of black people in india right so i remember friends talking and being just like you know like if i oh like when you move to north america like you know be careful like don't hang out with like uh black people or things like that because that's what they're conditioned to believe and i know this is hard to to kind of you know for a lot of people to hear but i think the truth like this has to be spoken right like it's important to discuss these things for people to be aware that um you know these are this takes a really long time over a period of time to be conditioned so imagine someone who's never seen a black person around them on tv they're being projected as like you know criminals and then you go to the mall and you can't turn you know be 10 feet away from an aisle of skin whitening products so what that conditions you to believe is that white is good and dark is bad right and i think that's that conditioning i, I realized that wasn't just limited to you know places outside of north america a lot of people living in like rural north america are also conditioned to be that way um because they're not exposed to it and and that really just is what also transpires and and bleeds into the gay community which is why we have this hierarchy and going back to like my point with grinder was just like i got so sick and depressed and like tired of it that i just deleted and i'm like i never want to be exposed to this because because every time i open someone's profile or something like it's like a preference and it's always you know put in the way it's just a preference like no it's not you're racist like you know it's not a preference because a, a, a gorgeous man is a gorgeous man irrespective of color yeah with both what what you said you know whether you know with the child that the experiment they did with the kids i watched that video and it's interesting how it is definitely taught 
and with us exposed to pop culture, media, um, it's heightened. And these preferences, I won't lie, um, but I am, from what I know I've learned is my attraction is towards white men. And that is my attraction. Is it a preference? Well, is it learned? That's the question I have to ask myself. Um, so I would consider that being something that I did not really realize, you know, now that we're talking about it, but even just even being in North America, it's even heightened even more because we are considered a minority, uh, not only just gay, but, you know, ethnically. And, you know, I've joined, um, I've, I've been married for 22 years, so I don't go online, but when I, in the start before Facebook, there was a Asian friends group. It was before Facebook. And I, I guess it would have been a hookup, hookup site, but um, you know, people just became friends and things like that. You can exchange messages and stuff, but you know, I never met anybody on there, but it was majority Asian. It was like, you woo, you felt like the queen of the crop sometimes because people alike were just attracted to let's say their preference or attraction. Uh, and so being within that community felt better than Manhunt or Grindr or whatever those old sites are. I, I don't know them. I remember. So, but I remember learning the terminology. I didn't even know what uh, GWM meant. It's gay white male. And it was, it, it's funny, right? Because you're, you, you learn these things, but then you're, you know, your actions are actually doing the opposite. You know what else that reminded me of, which was like so bad to see, was like as technology progressed, people started expressing it in different ways. Like when emojis, uh, had, you know, came out or something, and like before they introduced skin tone into the emojis, they did still have like, you know, like there was a Sikh man like with a with a turban that was like supposed to be like the Indian guy, and there was like a representation of like an Asian person as well that that was like for some reason, like every Asian representation and emoji, whatever is wearing Chinese outfits, right? Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> there's so many different types of Asian people. So it, like, I think it just like started evolving where instead of saying it in explicit words, it would be like, you know, like a white blonde kind of emoji or whatever. It's like check mark next to it. And then like a, like a you know like no um entry emoji like whatever the 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 red circle with the cross in it and whatever against like all these other representations of of people and or it's the like, sushi, like the sushi yeah. emoji even right it's the like sushi what? One. yeah 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 and i was just like and I, and I remember even going back to being like is there one that actually represents curry and I was just like, I was like, no, like that's a noodle soup bowl. Like, you know, like it's just, uh, it's, it's evolved and, and people are still expressing it in different ways. Mm-hmm. I want to share the white perspective. Yeah. Reference. <laughs> are you ready? Do you want to hear dun, dun, dun. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think, okay. First off, I just want to first like say that I'm really honored that you guys are speaking so openly. It's so beautiful. And I'm tracking you and I'm feeling all the feelings behind what you're sharing. And it's it's really powerful for me. Um, this conversation is very therapeutic for me. So I just wanted to, to mention that. Um, 
I've been doing a lot of navigating in this area for probably the last six months, very, very intensely, like having a ton of conversations with people of color, exploring my preferences, what that means for me. And, um, most recently exploring my love fantasy. Okay. And I want to, I want to explain what that means to me because I've really developed a correlation between my preference and my conditioning, which is what you guys are all talking about. Right? So I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. It's a predominantly white city, just like any North American city is going to be predominantly Caucasian people. Um, I have a white father. I grew up watching white people on TV. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, I, I grew up in North America. It's a white dominated um, continent. So that deeply impacted my, my preferences, right? Um, I, I fall along the same lines as you, Ed, where my natural default attraction is to white men, right? Do I want to always be that way? No, that's why I'm unpacking my conditioning so I can explore what this means for me, right? And I think when it comes to my love fantasy, this is how this, this, this is really where this stuff started to play out for me. I started to, to think because it was always conditioned and it was always autopilot. Like when I think about the man that I want to fall in love with, what color is his skin, right? He's white and he looks very similar to me or he looks very similar to my father, right? And I'm just curious about your guys' love fantasy, Right. Being a person of color growing up in a white dominated um, country, what would my preference be? What would my love story be if I grew up in India? Right. What would that mean for me if I was inundated with Indian culture and it was always around me? So I just I wanted to paint that perspective because that's where a lot of white people are coming from. Does that make it not racist? No, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it, it does when it's being displayed in an unconscious way where people aren't willing to unpack their conditioning. That's mm. what we're being asked to do right now as a, as a planet really is unpack our conditioning and, and dissect our unconscious bias. But this is not just a white person's task, right? This is everybody's task. We all have to unpack our biases if we want to have these conversations that are gonna actually push us forward. So a lot of my work, and I noticed that on Tinder, I'm, I'm, I'm back on the dating scene. I have been off the dating scene for almost a year. And I noticed that on Tinder, my natural attraction is to swipe right for white men, right? But I'm challenging that right now. I'm really, I'm sitting with the energy of the person and I close my eyes and I'm like, does this person feel aligned to me? Don't look at the color of their skin. Does this person's energy feel aligned to me? And then I'm practicing swiping. Right. So this, this is, this is stuff that I'm really learning to integrate within myself because I don't want to be that person that is a slave to his conditioning any longer. And I think, um, so anyways, that, that's my perspective. I'm not going to say again, that it's the white perspective. I was more so saying that to kind of sauce it up a bit because everyone's going to have a different experience of, of, of that, but that's my, my perspective. So Matt, if you had grown up in India, I think you'd first be fantasizing about dancing around trees and singing songs uh, <laughs> with, you know, someone that, you know, kind of still looks Caucasian because that's what we see in Bollywood. Um, and if they're not, then they'll lighten their skin. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, uh, I would say like, if I reflect back on, uh, you know, it's really interesting. It, it, not a lot of people know this and now I guess everyone's gonna know. But like when I was when I was a kid, I used to have a crush 
um, on um, vanilla ice. And like, he's hot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's right? hot. Vanilla so, Ice can get it. Yeah. Vanilla Ice totally gets it. I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure. Uh, but like, that was like, I remember like thinking back and I'm like, you know, celebrity crushes and everything and all of that. And I think that was uh, what I, what I thought about. Um, but other than that, like my, uh, you know, like when I imagined like romance or being with someone or all of that, um, it was it was more related to like the Disney princes that I saw, which now I realize were also white, right? But but I think that I never would have uh, thought as a kid that I uh, you know could be open to dating someone who's Asian, dating someone who's black, right? Like all of that, and this was also impacted by like what I saw saw around myself with like straight people, right? So if like an Indian man like who lived outside ended up falling in love with a white girl and married her and brought her home. Everyone's just gonna like by default be like, oh my God, she's so pretty. She could look like Mama June for all you know, right? Like, but they would just be like, oh, she's so pretty and all of that. Um, but like, like if an Indian man came back home with like a black woman who has a PhD uh, and you know, like, and, and it's still stunning and has, you know, I, I know a lot of black women like that that are strong powerful and gorgeous right i don't think that they would get the same kind of like reaction right away um and i think that's that feeds into that conditioning and it really like tells you like and even as a kid like you know like don't don't do that and and i started to challenge myself when i deleted grinder and i got something like a tinder and and things like that and i was like i'm gonna limit my preference to like an age bracket Right. Like I want to date someone who I know I can relate to within an age bracket. And then once I have that set, I'm just going to swipe right and see who I match with, because there were instances, a couple of them, where um, when I did that, the guys that I matched with that were you know, of different ethnicities, like there was an Asian guy, someone who was Jamaican, right? Like they were just so charming on text that I could just see like the, the personality come in. And that was enhanced like tenfold when I met them in person, right? Mm. And I was just like, I was like, wow, I never like would have just like, you know, opened up unless I had like challenged myself uh, and been been open to those conversations. And now I'm I'm at a place where I've actually dated like almost every ethnicity and the mixes of them all too so uh, you know and i think it really just comes down to what we talk about is chemistry and we never talk about preference and chemistry in the same conversation because that is the only thing that defies our preconditioning of like preference and all of that is just you happen to meet someone that you never thought you'd be interested in. And now they're so charming, they're sweeping you off your feet and you're confused. That's chemistry. And I think that's what we need to experience a lot more if we wanna challenge ourselves. Yeah, I'm curious, just to follow up, uh, what, what race, or if there is a race, what race is the person in your love fantasy? Well, now, like, honestly, there isn't. I just see, like, someone's, like, back because I'm looking at myself standing at the altar in front of them, right? <laughs> so, but it's, <laughs> it's just, uh, all, I, all I know is it's, like, now it's changed really to a feeling, like, you know, me feeling very safe uh, and not scared to be vulnerable in their presence and just me feeling like it's someone who feels like an old T-shirt. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I like that. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in here, and 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 I'll preface by saying this may this may be controversial. My my response to your question, and I think it's really important that I come in with this this like this honesty and transparency because this is and this is how we progress in these conversations. So um, I am revisiting the show uh, Scandal on Netflix. I love me some Olivia Pope, Carrie, Carrie Washington. I, I adore her. And um, President, President Fitz, uh, so hot. He's this tall, light-skinned, brown-haired, light-eyed, um, commanding, charismatic, uh, muscly, you know, hairy dude. Like he's just, mm, just sexy. Uh, and, and it, and it gets me going. And in my fantasy, I'm, I'm with someone like that. You know, the only difference is like, he, he may have brown eyes and brown hair, you know, instead of blue, but, but, or green, but, you know, regardless, um, generally speaking, He's always been light skinned or olive skinned, right? Italian was was another, you know, was another one. But in my mind, I never imagined him as as brown or black or you know or any any other any other race, right? Um, and and that was really interesting to me. And and it wasn't until I mean probably in more recent years, I really started to like allow myself I guess I wouldn't even say allow because I was attracted to I mean I've dated I've gone on dates with and 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 you know and been um sensually and sexually intimate with with men of all um skin colors you know shapes sizes uh, you know across the board um but you know I would say it wasn't until I in more recent years that I really felt myself probably when I started to love myself, to be honest, and, and really intentionally expose myself to communities that were predominantly of color, that I, I found myself really opening up and, and getting really turned on by, you know, by people of color, in particular. Um, And now, like, Kanye West can get it. Um, You know, what, what's his name? Randall from, from that show. uh, um, This is us on Netflix. Like, I would marry that man. He's so fine, right? Um, he he would definitely be on my fantasy list. Um, you know, like I, I mean, it's just a, it's across the board now, so it's definitely opened up. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that um, I too wasn't on those apps or even on porn sites when I'm going through the porn and I'm scrolling. Right? I catch myself in those situations. It's like. Who am I looking for? I'm looking for the white dude, right? I'm looking for the white dude, right? And rarely am I pulling up black porn or Asian porn or, you know, what have you, right? That's rare. So I acknowledge that. And I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I've definitely broadened my perspective and really opened my mind and my heart in a very intentional way because I've recognized my biases and, and, you know, and, and my conditioning, as you say, Matt. Yeah. Um, so that fantasy is now kind of a, a free for all. It's a bit more, it's a bit more open. Right. But generally speaking, I'm not going to lie. Like 
I love them to be mask masculine as we as we say right and maybe that's my work as well um i you know i'd love them to be tall and and muscly and you know what have you right but at the same time i know if i'm engaging with my higher self as you uh, you know as we say um I, i just want i really want someone who i just feel i'm 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 part of a team with and who i'm not only physically attracted to but emotionally emotionally and intellectually and psychologically and spiritually attracted to and someone who really owns who they are right like that's that to me is really hot you know that's that's yeah that's worth fantasizing about you know mm. yeah if i would yeah, i i go ahead sorry mm. go on <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna backtrack a little bit there Um uh I I think I've I've had a history as my as my friends know of uh you know being quite attracted to Latin men actually um you know Latinos and uh you know Spanish speaking men uh or like Brazilian Portuguese speaking men right so I've, I've always been very very attracted to them um and you know I would say in the last like few years I've also found myself being very attracted to black men um you know because because once i got that exposure and and you know met some of them um who were just as for and i mean this in the best way as ordinary as <laughs> yeah, a lot of us right uh that were nerds and like this and that whatever like i just uh you know i found that as well but at the same time like if we're talking about like being attracted to white men yes i've had my fair share and i typically have been attracted to gingers with freckles mm, um, you know especially like freckles on the shoulders and stuff because yeah. that's something i've never had and uh, and you know it's so the opposite of of me that that i find that attractive similarly like you know i find myself attracted to like very very dark black men mm. um and you know it's just because to me what i realized was was about uh someone who was different than who i am and yeah. just you know physically a stark difference and you know overshare but like when you brought up porn so i'm the kind i'm the person that searches for interracial porn <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah so yeah absolutely i think i think there's uh there's a lot there to to discover So Kevin Hart Kevin Hart needs to leak a sex tape. Sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll pay for that. Yeah, right. Sorry, go ahead Edward. Sorry about that. Well, I wanted to express how um the reason why I wanted to kind of discuss this on the fantasy actually is I find that number one it, with the racism in the gay community um right away my brain jumped to attraction and sexual attraction and let's just say i'm speaking from a person who's committed and monogamous with a the partner there is a different attraction for sexuality and there is a different attraction um of the brain like i just want to fuck their brain so what i'm trying to say is now that i'm in a relationship i can't really speak to you know what my preference is there's the porn preference for sure and that's just like getting it off and you know i got my fantasy uh for sure it's very similar to yours Reno but at the same time when you brought up that this is us i'm in love with Randall oh yes but you know it's not because of his color or anything it's because he's so sweet and he wants to do things about his family and 
I'm attracted to his love. Mm -hmm. And so coming from that, I can, I guess I can say I'm attracted to a black man. So I am very attracted to him. So, you know, and as a, whether it be women or men now, you know, let's just say stereotype to stereotype, you know, call a spade a spade. Um, uh, whether it be someone who's trans or someone who's stereotypically thin or um, semi, I don't, I try not to look at the exterior. And I love this about this group is because everyone is truly on this group that you've created, Matt. Um, just genuinely talking about this, and I'm more attracted to people's comments. And I'd rather click on that person to see what they're about. Mm. And it doesn't really matter if they got purple hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, brown eyes, and it's that comments. So it's the intellectual then that becomes an attraction. Mm. So kudos on the group because most gay groups are really about hookup sites. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Remember when the American election results were announced and everything? I don't know if anyone watched uh, what Van Jones was talking about yeah. on Anderson Cooper, right? It's going to sound so wrong. I was like looking at him, like wiping his tears, this like strong, grown oh. man. I'm just like, husband. Oh. Like, yes. <laughs> it's like that is husband uh -huh. right there. Like, yeah. <laughs> I thought he was so attractive. This man's crying. And I feel bad saying it. But like, I was just like, I was like, damn, like he's hot. Like, who is this guy? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really is. And, and I think it's important that in, in media, we see all, you know, there's so many people, I think, so many perspectives and, and individuals who are sort of marginalized, right? Um, who there's a certain image of like how a black man or an, you know, an East Indian man or an Asian man is supposed to be, right? And how, or, or even a white man for that matter. But there are these like stereotypes, right? Like of how we're supposed to be. And I, I even I remember thinking like that I'm, but I'm not, but I'm not that. And I'm not that. I actually don't really see myself being represented. And what's interesting is, one of the closest things I've seen to that to date is probably Randall, you know, on This Is Us. Like, I cry every time I see that man on that show because I'm like, wow, I can connect and relate to this character so, so much. But the other thing I wanted to say as well is um, one of the things that I've noticed about my experience as a, as a, you know, as a queer man of color is that when I find myself in environments with people... Um, say, we'll say of color specifically, like when I'm in a room full of other um, people of color, something overcomes me. And I, not only do I feel more powerful and sexy and, and desirable and, and, and at home in myself and the room, but I also notice that like I find everyone in that room suddenly more attractive as well because I guess something shifts where it's like, we're not the minority anymore and all yeah. you see and all you're sort of basking and bathing in and beholding is like this beautiful energy of all these people of diverse styles and backgrounds and skin colors and and even smells and 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 you know all across the board and it's just like 
mm, this is, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And, and so I guess one of the things that I want to encourage is like putting ourselves in those spaces. Cause it really is a, it, it really is like a game changer. And for me, the first time I ever really went to, uh, uh, you know, a, a barbecue, a cookout as we call them, um, you know, and, and it was all, it was all black people, essentially the white people there were actually the minority. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And I just felt so at home in Oakland, California, same thing. It was like, wow, something about this just feels so good. And there were just so many beautiful, beautiful people of color and so much culture. And it was just delicious. And I was so turned on, you know? Yeah. I agree. My first couple of... Oh yeah. Go ahead. Uh, my first couple of like days in uh, Selkirk, Manitoba, when I landed, right, and this was like October, so it was like already snowing. Um, and uh, I remember like pretty quickly realizing I was the only person of color there. Uh, and this one morning, and I was living with a host family who were this like older white couple. Uh, and I remember like getting out of their house one morning um, and I was like outside just stretching and everything. And from a distance, I see the postman and he was a black man. And I literally remember like waving at him and running towards him and whatever. Yes, and he's yes. like, he says hi to me and he's like, you're new, right? And I'm like, yes. yes. He's like, he's like, he's like, well, I'm the only reason you're going to see in this town. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I was going to stem off of your um, comment uh, Reno about stereotypes. I actually Wikipedia uh, racism in the LGBT, and their example was an example of racism in LGBT is an Asian man seen as femme or passive, or a black man as aggressive. Mm. So they even use that in our um, internet where someone could potentially search. I mean, I don't think we need to really explain too much about what racism is or whatever, but th that stereotype was used. And that, that was it. There was no, they didn't really expand much more on Wikipedia on that. But I just wanted to comment how, you know, in our, let's say, North American world, those two examples were used. I mean, why not utilize the, the white person being the, you know, dominant or the gay, you know, type of approach? Mm. So, <clears throat> Anyhow, I just think definitely, like you said, also is the integration and is to mix um, mix our ethnicities, right? Oh, and yes. I would say, for example, not too long ago, and we're fans of RuPaul's Drag Race, mm -hmm. and I met a couple of new friends uh, who, who's a partner of a friend of mine, anyhow, and... Uh, we were asking about RuPaul's Drag Race and the franchises, and there's a Thailand franchise. And he loves RuPaul's Drag Race so much that we just asked the question, well, did you end up watching the Thailand one? And he said, no. And he expressed that he did not like the way, because it's actually, they don't speak English in it. It's just subtitled. So he kind of mocked by just making a bunch of noises how the Thai language sounds. And I honestly don't think he has Asian friends. And I look, gave him a look and I said, that's not appropriate. So he got it. We love each other as friends, but I don't think he knew. Hmm. 
So I think that correction is needed, mm. especially when we integrate ourselves as ethnic folks into this world of a white dominated uh, world. Mm. Yeah. And redo the commercial need and redo what's commercialized. For example, we do, we're interior designers and we do mood boards. And we had to do a mood board for a hospital. And I know this may not be gay related, but I think it's still a step within society is I always use white faces, families, folks. And in this time, and I think after since Black Lives Matter really affected me and a conversation of racism amongst my ethnic friends, I use colored people in my presentations now. So it's kind of like this interesting learning uh, approach and my bosses are white and, you know, and it doesn't matter. It's pretty acceptable, so. Hmm. I'm curious, I have a question for Matt. So Matt, like you're, you know, you're hearing us talk about this stuff. And I think during these conversations, we've brought up words that, you know, we've all been called that are specific to our race and everything. And like, to me, you don't come across as someone who, um represents like mainstream gay culture right so i'm curious to know about like what do you know about some uh, you know gay slurs that might be used for white men for white men mm -hmm. mm. i'm counting <laughs> well i don't know if there would be gay slurs but like honky or like redneck or like those sorts of things tend to be thrown around, but yeah, I don't think there really is any for for white men in the gay community, at least not that I'm aware of. And see, I tried thinking about that and you're right. There aren't those, mm -hmm. right? Like no one actually, or maybe there are some in subcultures that I'm too old for, um, but like, you know, like I, it, I've been thinking about this throughout this conversation and I'm just like, you know, if someone was to just see a picture of us on the screen right now, the four of us, they could easily, for myself, Ed, and for Reno, pick out a, at least a couple of gay slurs mm -hmm. uh, that would be racially specific. But what would they say for you? Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if they're gay slurs. I think they would be racial slurs. Ra yeah, but more so you... Specific to gay, right? Because then it wouldn't right. it that way. It would be race. And there's lots of slurs for white people as well mm. when it comes to race. Mm. Yeah, like I guess yeah, I didn't phrase that by a black dude, <laughs> right? So yeah, there's lots of terminology that can be thrown around. You're saying specific I, to the the LGBTQ community, though. Right? Yeah, Those yeah, because there are yeah. racial slurs, but right. like, I guess I am not explaining it properly. Which yeah, is, yeah. they are still racial slurs, but mm -hmm. there's certain that are more. Uh, commonly used within the gay right. community, right? right? For yeah. for certain ethnicities, and yeah. and I just couldn't even recall one that that existed for for white men. Yeah, I can't yeah. think of like rice queen or or curry queen and things like that. Don't really yeah. like they're or like they're you know BDL people for engaging in in relation with people of color. That's essentially what what it would be classified as. So yeah, yeah. 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 Do you think there's shame involved in those words? Like, are, is like I'm trying to understand. Like, is that so? When let's say a white person dates an Asian person, is called a rice queen. Like, is that coming from a place of like trying to shame them because they're not dating their own ethnicity? I don't. You know, to be completely honest, I have never experienced that. 
in in my circle of people, white people, um, I think to be honest, I think there's been major strides in this area. In in you know the '50s, not being able to have biracial couples, right? It was a, a law. You you were you could be put to jail for it, right? So I think it's been. I think if you were to go into some rural communities, probably, but I have never in my life ever been exposed to another white person giving somebody else flack for dating somebody of color. Mm. But you know, what's interesting is from the other side of that, I actually worked at a, at a production bakery when I was um, around 18. And I, there was a lot of East Indian people that worked at this production bakery. And I got really pretty close with this one East Indian woman. She was a bit older. She was probably 50. Um, we just started talking about race and, and stuff. And she told me that if her son ever married a white girl, that she would disown her. And she told this to me and I was like, wow, like that's, that's pretty impactful. And it just, it made me think about how people are so attached to their race. And, um, you know, and I have there, actually, I have there's more racism within the ethnic cultures as well. I mean, there's racism within the Asian culture yep. and a hierarchy and a stereotype. So see, but you're not allowed. You're not. You're not allowed to say that, right? Like uh, air quotes, right? You, yeah. You're not. We're not. We're not allowed to say that. And I might get shit for 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 saying this, but but um, my experience has been that when when someone says that or sounds that out, um, it's like, well, n- no, uh people of color can't be racist. And I, I still don't understand that myself. Like I'm still learning, but what I recognize is that racial prejudice and discrimination can still be enacted toward people who are white. Right. That's, that's my, at least my perception. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you talk about internalized racism, it's the same thing. It's having, it's no different than internalized homophobia. We have racism for our own race. Mm -hmm. So, and when we're operating within that, um, it it really points to, if I'm internally racist towards myself, how can I not be racist towards everybody else, right? Everybody has slivers of racism. I truly Mm -hmm. believe that because Mm -hmm. we're all conditioned to, see our family system, right? Our family unit is where we come from. So anything that's different from our family system as human beings, we're, we're kind of conditioned to like reject it to a certain mm-hmm. degree until it becomes safe mm-hmm. for us and we find safety. And if we don't ever find safety in that race, that's where we develop racism, right? And I think that's where it starts to come from. So that's why this work is so important to start unpacking these unconscious biases and, and, um, and conditionings. And one thing I do, I want, I want to point out as well, because I know, I know this, this is a racism podcast, but I really, I, I wrote this down. Why are some preferences okay and others are not? Because I heard in this, in this podcast, people talking about age and age being a preference. I heard people talking about masculinity being a preference. I heard about gender fluidity. Like there's so many things. So where do we draw the line and say one is okay and one isn't? And I, I think we have about 10 minutes to respect your guys' time, um, but I would love to hear some people's responses on that. Society, um, I think, determines that. Status quo, social norm, uh, mm-hmm. social acceptance, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll just say status quo, I think, determines that in a lot of ways. And that's a larger conversation. Um, 
one of the things that I get really excited about is um, shadow exposure, right? Like shadow exposure, self-exposure. So bringing things like this into the conversation, because I bet if we were really honest, I bet if everyone was really honest, we've all looked at someone who was out of uh, the, the socially acceptable age range to, 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 to be attracted to and thought, mm, that person's, you know, that person's kind of cute, right? Um, and and I, I, I guess I want to I wanna clarify by saying that I'm not, like, I'm not condoning um, um, any, like, unsafe or disrespectful sort of practices or behavior. But what I'm pointing to here is that, um, it's important for all of us, no matter your age, gender, race, uh, you know, or, or whatever it is, to acknowledge the fact that there are some things, some, some shadows, some ideas um, and perceptions that we carry that we don't bring to 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 light and and converse around and i think that that is an important aspect of this whole conversation around race mm -hmm. and and other things in general is that we are all uh part of this conversation and we all in some capacity carry certain preferences we all in some capacity participate in certain stereotyping stereotyping is is it's called what it is and it exists and, and sustains for a reason because we all actively in some way, shape or form participate in it. So I think at least in my own perception and experience, it is, it is on us all to, to own that, to be responsible, respondable um, and accountable for, you know, for our, the role we all play in this. Right. So, yeah. I, I do want to answer your question, Matt. I think that, uh, and, and you're right, like, you know, biases are biases and whatever we're putting as preferences or, you know, like still prejudice, right? Like, whether it's age, whether it's, you know, uh, mannerisms and, and, and this and that, I think that from, from my own personal experience, like when I was unpacking all of my biases and, and making a conscious effort to work through them, um, and, and making a conscious effort to basically get rid of my biases, um, I did end up uh, wanting to tackle the racism bias first, right? Like knowing that, hey, like, you know, if I live with my biases, like I would never, uh, you know, be um, accepted or allowed or whatever to date like an Asian man, uh, first of all, and then, you know, like a black man after that, right? So like I had to really, really un unpack those and I picked racism first because it impacted me more. And what I realized was that the one thing that didn't change, which I, which I, never expected was moving across continents and still knowing that racism is just as strong and it just keeps escalating right whether we're talking about the murder of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor and like all of that right like it just keeps escalating and then to reflect back on our community that has traditionally collectively been uh you know 
um, uh, put down or, or uh, you know, held uh, prejudice against. Mm. And then to be like, oh, you know, but I see more racism in the gay community than I do outside of the gay community. So I actively chose to tackle that first before I could tackle anything else. And then after that, I tackled like mannerisms and things like that. I don't have those preferences anymore. Age, yes, and I'm working through it, right? By trying to expose myself to, uh, to, to men that are, you know, or allowing myself to communicate with men that are either younger or older, you know, significantly younger, significantly older, right? So I guess that, that was a conscious choice that I've made and, and, and I don't know if it's the same for everyone. You know what comes up for me is is thinking about that because you're you're so right. It's so exacerbated in the gay community, and you don't want to know what I think it is. This is just my hunch. The pace at which gay men relate is so much quicker than other groups of people, right? Heterosexual people, yeah, sure they have one night stands, but they tend to go on dates. The man courts the woman, blah blah blah. There's time to build rapport and actually get to know the energy and the personality of the person. Whereas in the gay community, it's like, "Oh, swipe on a profile, I'm going to go fuck this person." So they're not actually slowing down their pace to get to know somebody. So they just automatically lead with their conditioning as opposed to leading with their heart. And maybe that's what we need to start doing more as gay men is leading with our heart. Thanks. I did want to give Ed a, a chance to, did you want to comment on that, that question? And then I, yeah, I think it's the opportunity just to open up. Right. Yeah. I think again, attraction is there's many different types of attraction. So I, 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 again, for this, you know, your platform here, I, I just love it. And I just think I'm more attracted to people and it doesn't matter what race they are. And I, I am feeling that as well because I'm, I'm seeing, uh, let's just say white people comment on an ethnic person's post or whatever. And it's just becoming more of a friendship mm. of attraction. Yeah. Um, sexually, I really don't know. I think that is a condition that we, we are we're growing up with. That's a puberty thing or whatever, whether sexual abuse was happened to us. So I, I can't comment on that. But one last thing I did want to say is my experience just with um, the LGBT flag. So I've always known it as a rainbow. And this was a slight um, whoops on my end. But when they changed the flag and added the black and the brown, I gasped. <laughs> and as an ethnic person, I don't even know why. And I actually only just wrote this down, you know, two weeks ago was, well, you know, if there was someone loud enough to represent the Asians on the rainbow flag for color representation, I'd be for it. So I guess I accept it. I love it. And, you know, I'm proud that, you know, some black and brown person spoke up and said, well, we need a rain. We need a color in that flag. So um, learning to just evolve and to understand that side too is a solution mm. for the general public. Mm. And even as an ethnic person against, you know, not against, but, you know, just on that tradition of what that pride flag represented, right? It's evolved. So that's great. Thank you for that. Um, so I have one question. We're going to go a little over time. Hopefully you guys are okay with that. But yeah. I do want to know, I want to end off by asking you guys, what are your wishes for the gay community as it evolves into more inclusion and equality? 
what's your vision? What's your wish? What do you, and you can just keep it short and, and sweet. Um, I have a short and sweet one to your point, Matt, like, um, focusing on like the inside, right? Like I, I, my vision is that we, as the gay community are going to start to actively, especially like coming out of what we're coming out of right now, right? Like the pandemic and quarantine and everything, we're going to actively make an effort to step outside the comfort zone of, you know, an app and swiping and actually try and make the effort to stop someone on the way and say hello and ask if you can, if we can buy them a coffee, right? Like that's my vision, something very simple. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I recognize that, uh, that love, love is recognized and, 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 um, and thrives in rich community and, um, rich community to me as as this you know as this image says is it really exists it's it's a world that works for all right and so that's what i would love to see in these spaces um in, including the people who feel marginalized the people who really struggle to connect and relate within these communities but for me it's just like yeah i i want to see more rich community i want to see more community where love is present where love is the norm where we recognize one another not as other but um you know as 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 being connected you know we're we're all in this together and that's a message that you know i'm constantly putting forth and then i think secondly the other thing i would just say is my my wish for everyone is that we come to realize um you know, our, that, that we, we often create our experience. And that's a whole other conversation, probably for another podcast. But, um, you know, I, I view us all as, as, as powerful creators. And it's my hope that we come to know that and that we create and connect with one another from love, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's representation is to, you know, if you are a person of power or, leadership is to empower those folks and do consider the race card and why not because i think you know um i was lifted up you know within my work and career and my family and and community that you know someone gave me that chance to to do that so i think um just integrating and empowerment My wish, my wish is happening right now. (laughs) Um, But no, really, my wish is for people to find the courage to unpack their conditioning and challenge themselves and set boundaries with your ego, right? Your ego is telling you stories and there's other stories out there. You can shed these ones and create new ones. And, um, And then my second wish would be that the Gay Men's Brotherhood continues to be a space where people can... Um, slow down, slow down their pace and actually start to tune into energy. We're all energy and we're just living in these shells, right? My skin might be white, but my energy is the exact same as yours. We come from the same divinity, right? So if we can start to look at it through that lens, it's going to be extremely powerful what we can accomplish as gay men in in a gay community. Um, There will be a 2.0 of this podcast episode. So free up some time in like a couple months from now, because we'll be having another one of these. Mm -hmm. Today was a lot about preference. I'd love to unpack so much more. I've got so many questions, you guys. We didn't even touch on half of them. Yeah. So 
Yeah. And from the, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for, you know, taking an hour and a half of your time. I know time is so precious to come and, and unpack this stuff with me. Um, people are going to be shifted and changed by the hearing us um, and, and feeling us exchange this energy tonight. So thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, deep, deep gratitude. If you're following on a podcast network, um, please subscribe and give me a five-star rating if you enjoyed this podcast. So again, thanks a lot. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt.